In the name of Jesus, amen. Today is the first Sunday in or, or after Epiphany. Uh, as many of you, you probably know, you've heard in sermons before, Bible class is uh, Epiphany. It's just a, a fancy word for the, the shining or the showing forth. So that in Epiphany, we get all these, these stories that, that shine or show forth uh, just who our Lord is, to show us the, the kind of guy Jesus is. Uh, since Epiphany only lasts five or six weeks, it can be kind of difficult in the selection, which, which particular stories most are most shiny, you might say. You, know, you might think of it in terms of your, yourself. If you uh, had your own Epiphany season, uh, and you had a series of maybe five or six stories, you had a pick from your life, that te- the telling of which would say, that's the kind of guy he or, or she is. That's kind of the difficulty. If it was me, I was trying to think, maybe I'd, maybe I'd tell a story about a, a family trip from my childhood, maybe a, a Mackinac Island or Traverse City. That would, that would get uh, mom and dad and siblings in there and some of my childhood stuff. Uh, and then maybe I'd tell a story about my vicarage um, in North Carolina, that would kind of get educational history and link over to the pastor thing. Also happens to be the place where I met my bride, so you figure that in. And maybe another story about a, a vacation from now with my family and, and kids to, to, to get that part of my life. Of course, if I wanted to be honest and really give you the picture of the kind of guy I am, I'd have to tell you stories that I'm way too embarrassed <laughs> to tell you right now. I'd have to pick a story full of uh, self-absorption and anger and things like that. Things I'm not going to tell you because, again, they're they're too embarrassing. You have those stories, too. But the kind of stories I'd have to tell, at least for some of my epiphany stories, if you're really going to know the kind of guy that that I am. Well, you get the idea. Uh, The epiphany stories to say the kind of person uh, someone is. And so with Jesus, and so with Jesus, the, the first epiphany story is the one we would have heard if we actually had been here in church on Epiphany. We didn't have service, you didn't, you didn't miss it. But, but January 6th, the actual day of Epiphany, uh, you would have heard the first story, the story about the Magi coming to worship Jesus, bringing their gold and, and frankincense. I did, we didn't have church, but I did incense the place in here, so if you breathe deeply, you might get a, a whiff of incense from, from earlier in the week. Gold and, and frankincense and myrrh. You heard the story, the strange story of the, the Magi coming to Jesus, these, these foreigners uh, coming to worship, these, these radical outsiders, these folks who had soothsaying stargazers had a job that the letter of the Old Testament law said uh, could have, should have gotten them stoned to death, not the most savory of characters. It's quite a story to, to start out with Epiphany. It kind of tells us some things about this, this Jesus fellow. Evidently, he's the kind of guy who welcomes outsiders and, and likes having around him the sort of people who other people might just as soon have dead. <laughs> In fact, if you ponder that for a minute, you might imagine to yourself some folks that you'd rather not have around and then picture them dressed up like three little magi lugging their gold and frankincense and myrrh to the bedside of a of a little baby Jesus. Quite a way to start, to, to start the epiphany storytelling. Well, well today is not, not too much different. Today is the first Sunday in or, or after the epiphany, and it's always the same story. It's always the story of, of Jesus' baptism. 
And it's kind of like that first one. And in fact, in some traditions, in some parts of the, of the church, they kind of combine. They mush together the Magi and the baptism of Jesus into one big celebration and then make a really big deal out of it. People get dressed up like the three Magi and they, they incense everything they can possibly find. Um, if you were lucky enough to be worshiping at a, an Orthodox church in Greece today, they have this tradition, I'm told, where um, after the service, the church has a procession down to a local body of water, a, a river or something like that, and they throw a cross in it, and then you all get to jump in. <laughs> and whoever gets the cross wins the prize. I don't know if we can do that or not. Uh, if, you were, if we were really hardy folk and we were Russian Orthodox people, since it's really cold there, We'd cut a big cross-shaped hole in the ice and jump in that, <laughs> which probably wouldn't be any, any fun at all. But they do that because today's a big deal, because the baptism of Jesus is a big deal, a really big part of showing the kind of guy that, the kind of God that, that Jesus is. And if you think of that, that scene for, for just a moment, it really is pretty, pretty bizarre. All these, all these folks were told, going out, all these sinners going out to be baptized by John in the Jordan River. And then we have Jesus show up, and her response should be, what in the world is Jesus, the sinless Son of God, doing, showing up there uh, to be baptized? In fact, there was a, an, an early church father, a guy named Cyril of, of Alexandria, who read these, the story in Mark really closely, and he read the part about how The sinners were going out, being baptized, confessing their sins. And then he read the part where it says Jesus was baptized and he came out immediately. And he put that together and he said that's because the sinners, they were confessing their sins while they were under the water. (laughs) Like like John held them under. And then Jesus came up immediately because he didn't have any sins. (laughs) You'd imagine what kind of that would have been for us. I would need a snorkel. We'd have to pass out baptism snorkels (laughs) as we're all underwater for a long, long time, confessing lots and lots of sins. But Jesus, he doesn't have any sins of his own. So what is he doing there? Well, Jesus, Jesus is there in the water because that's where the sinners are and because Jesus loves sinners and because Jesus refuses to be anywhere other than where the sinners are which means he refuses to be anywhere other than where you are, no matter how long it takes you to confess your sins. There's another, another tradition, too, um, associated with this day in, in some parts of the church called the, uh, the asperges, which is just a fancy word. I think it's actually just the Latin word for sprinkling, where the, the pastor or the priest gets something called the aspergillum, <laughs> which is a fancy word for sprinkler, <laughs> And goes throughout the congregation and sprinkles everyone, sprinkling them to remind them that just as uh, Jesus showed the kind of guy he was at his baptism by refusing to be anywhere other than where the sinners are, sprinkling them to remind them that in their baptisms, wherever they were, whenever they were, Jesus made them the promise that he would never be anywhere other than where they are which, of course, is true of you as well. You know, I, I really uh, messed up in, um, in thinking about the epiphany stories if I had to tell my own 
five or six. Uh, the first one should not have been uh, Mackinac Island in uh, 1978 or something. The first one should have been September 2nd, 1973 at Apostles Lutheran Church in Belleville, Michigan, where with some water, some sinner whose name I've forgotten, or through some sinner's hand, Jesus made me the promise to never be anywhere other than where I am. That's the day of, uh, of my baptism. That's the way I should have started off my, my epiphany story to tell you the kind of guy I am is the, the baptized kind. <laughs> That's the kind of guy or girl you are too. Well, if you're baptized, if you're not it, you're baptized, tell me, and we'll, we'll fix that. But I'm pretty sure for most of you here, that's the kind of person you are. The kind of person you are is the baptized kind. The baptized kind of guy or, or girl. That's your, your first epiphany story, we might say. In fact, in, in, ter- in terms of stories, we could probably put it this way. We could probably say, instead of that being your first epiphany story, you might say that in your baptism, in one sense, you cease to have any of your own stories at all. That all your stories become part of Jesus' story. I kind of think of maybe of those pages that I I was writing my stories, my epiphany stories, and you could imagine doing the same as a bunch of uh, loose leaf pages all over the floor. Uh, Some of them are pretty smudged and uh, and dirtied up and crumpled up, uh, ready for the the, uh, trash bin and the incinerator eventually. But in my baptism, in your baptism, Jesus comes along and he gathers up all those pages. And he takes his book, he opens his book called the Book of Life, and he puts each one of those inside of, of his book. I've got a lot of books in my office, and a lot of them are like that, wise and learned books, and then inserted in them are little pages with uh, goofy things that I've written, at least compared to what's in the book, so that my pages are, are interspersed with the pages of that other book. It's a little hard to make sense of, but I think that's what St. Paul is onto in that beautiful epistle reading when he says that we have been united with Christ in our baptism. That somehow we have been crucified with him and, and resurrected, even already, with him. I think that's St. That's Paul saying that in Jesus, in our baptisms, all our stories have been made part of his story. That whatever story you tell about yourself, as God's baptized child, it is now impossible for you to tell your story without telling Jesus' story. And maybe even more wonderful than that, as God's baptized child, it is now impossible for Jesus to tell his story without him talking about you. (laughs) Imagine, you probably have some people in your life, if you're thinking of your epiphany stories, and say, it'd be really hard. It'd be really hard to tell my story without mentioning this person and this person and this person. You are that person to Jesus. Jesus can no longer talk about himself, can no longer tell his story without telling about you. And when I say that all our stories are part of Jesus' story, I mean all your stories. Like all those ones that I'm way too embarrassed in front of all you people to tell about, my, about myself, the ones I said I'm going to skip. All of those stories are part of Jesus' story too. And in fact, it's precisely because they're part of Jesus' story. The story of his dying and his rising for the forgiveness and the life of the whole world that makes your unsavory stories a little easier to tell. We Christians can tell all those parts of our stories, can face them in all their brutal ugliness and sadness and addictiveness 
and abusiveness and sinfulness, you name it. We can tell them precisely because we know in the telling of them the next page is always, and yet Jesus. Everything you fear is probably true. And yet Jesus. All the stuff you've done, done wrong, you've really done it wrong, so stop making excuses. And yet Jesus. These days, my mind, my heart, my passions have been co-opted in dangerous ways by politicians and media folks and social media. We've made our politicians, people on both sides of the aisle, we've made them our gods, and it's disgusting. And yet Jesus. Or maybe this, one of those people without whom you find it uh, impossible to tell your story has up and died on you. And it is not fair, and it hurts like heck. And yet, next page is Jesus. The living Jesus. Luther talks about that. He says that's, that's what it means to use your baptism. <laughs> Every day to say, and yet Jesus. My stories are stuck in there. I think it's what Paul had in mind, part of it, when he said, we put to death the old man. We somehow deal with those old stories. When you, you use your baptism, you're able to recognize and tell honestly, confess all those strange and, and foreign, even dirty stories that become a little easier because you know they're part of Jesus' story. It's what I was thinking of last week um, during Pastor Carr's sermon. We asked that he talked about God giving us a hearing heart. That prayer, the prayer that God would give us the kind of heart that can hear and acknowledge even those unsavory stories. As the more you use your baptism, the easier that becomes. Just one example of that. One example of that. Uh, you may know this story too, but I just read it in a book this last week. You know the story of Amazing Grace. I imagine a lot of you do. John Newton, famous uh, hymn writer, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Um, I guess it was the mid, mid-19th century. You probably know the story how he was a slave trader. And the story is usually told is this Amazing Grace written by this former slave trader. And that makes all, all kinds of sense to us because, oh man, talk about a wretch like me. This guy was made his living in the buying and selling of slaves. Well, that's not quite right. Amazing Grace was not written by a former slave trader. Amazing Grace was written by someone who was still deeply invested in the slave trade. <laughs> he was a Christian. He became a Christian, I think it was in 1854. Um, and he was converted. He was baptized. Some, you know, some really strange stuff happened in his life. He became a, a, a priest in the Anglican Church, I'm pretty sure it was, and I think it was 1872. But he was still deeply invested in the slave trade. When he wrote that hymn, 1872, uh, when he thought of himself as a wretch, I don't know what he was thinking. Maybe he thought of the, the wretched life of he was you know, cheated at cards, or he was mean to his family, or he drank too much. I don't know. But when he wrote that saved a wretch like me, he was not thinking a slave trader. He didn't even see that yet. He couldn't tell that story about himself yet. It took a while. It took a while for him to be reminded over and over and over to be sprinkled again and again and again. To be reminded and come to the conclusion that there was nothing so wretched to scare away the one who refuses to be anywhere other than where sinners are. That he could admit even that most wretched part of his life, but it didn't happen right away. But that's the kind of guy, the kind of God that Jesus is. At the first Sunday after Epiphany, at the baptism of Jesus, 
Jesus is the kind of guy that refuses to be anywhere other than where the sinners are. And that leaves just one thing left to do. You know you can get anything on Amazon in two days. You can even get an aspergillum. So, you are the baptized children of God. You've been baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. All of your stories, no matter how dirty, or how dark, or how sinful, or how depressive, or how abusive, every single one of those stories has been placed into the story and the book of life of the Son of the living God. You have many sins, but they all compare with Christ. You've been baptized into his name. You've been baptized in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You shall be mindful of that. You shall be mindful of also in his resurrection. You are his, and he will never let you go. Please stand. As we confess our faith together in the words of the God in whose name we've been baptized, we confess our faith together in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds. God, God, light of light, very God, very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things have been made, who moved for us men and for our salvation, came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. received a couple of prayer requests. We'll include in the prayers of the church. Uh, we'll pray for Brian and Sarah. Um, Brian is uh, uh, Madeline Stone's son. Sarah's her daughter-in-law. Um, and they, they lost a child early in uh, Sarah's pregnancy, so we'll pray for them. Uh, we'll pray for Victoria Reynolds and all those who mourn with her on the death of her father, Lloyd. Um, are there any other prayer requests? There's a handful from, from folks joining us on uh, Facebook. We'll pray for Bud, who's a friend of the Vickies in the hospital. Um, friends and family of those who lost their lives in D.C. on Wednesday. Uh, friends and family of Amia, uh, a member of our partner church in Germany, um, who was Al Stengler's, uh, who was the great-grandmother of Al's godfather. Okay. 
Um, and any other, are there any other prayer requests you would like to include in church? Yeah.
Lord God, Heavenly Father, you manifested yourself with the Holy Spirit in the fullness of grace at the baptism of your dear Son, and with your voice directed us to him who has borne our sins. Keep us, we pray, in the true faith, baptized into Jesus, his story, his grace, his forgiveness made ours. We pray you to strengthen our faith by your Holy Spirit and lead us to everlasting life. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you. And also with you.